Hello, welcome to Dissecting a Frog, a podcast about writing, performing and producing comedy as part of Comedy Victoria and hosted by me, Luke Morris. Uh, I've been playing around with the intro music, so I got feedback that the dancey piano number is lively and good and we should use that. Uh, I also made a little tune of um, dissecting a frog. I won't explain everything about it. We'll listen to that just before this week's interview with Tim Young. Tim from Locally Grown Funnies. He's a comedian and he's had his own show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, but he's performed on many stand-up nights and in scene gigs in big rooms. And many of those big room gigs he's produced himself because if you're a comedian in regional in regional Victoria one of the best ways to get those big gigs is to make those gigs happen yourself so I discussed with him how he got started some of the do's and don'ts of running a show and some tips on growing an audience which if you've ever been to a, a low level comedy gig you wonder how do I make this a big thing well that's the chat I have with Tim. Uh, We do work together on this Comedy Victoria concept. He's one of the brain child, brain children, brain, just brains on the project. Um, So who are we? We're a collection of producers and comedians who are building gigs across Victoria. And if you enjoy this podcast for education or just for your interest and um, want to become a member or if you want to know more about what Comedy Victoria is up to, uh, go to the website, comedyvictoria.com.au, follow at Comedy Vic and keep up to date and hopefully we can grow and see more comedians and events across this great state. And maybe one day the nation and then the world. And from the world, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe Nadia next. We'll go into another world completely. Anyway, let's jump into the interview and dissect the frog of producing comedy with Tim Young. Interesting thing to start off with would be that you, you're a producer in regional Victoria, but you, you've been on stage. You've been on stage doing comedy and you've done your own shows in Melbourne International Comedy Festival. So you have a lot of stage experience. Yeah. But where did the production experience start from? Uh, out of necessity, I think. I think so. When I started, uh, what as it was then, locally grown funnies um, back in April of 2017, it was to get gigs outside of Melbourne. Yep. So it was, as you would know, there was a frustrating thing where you'd have to drive to Melbourne on a Thursday night or a Wednesday night to do comedy in front of a dozen people. Yeah. And, usually, <laughs> yeah. and usually, usually those dozen people are 10 disinterested comedians and two alcoholics, right? So, and you go, what am I doing with myself? And also, when you get a bit older, you know, you've got commitments, you've got other things that take your time up. And you go, well, why am I doing it? What's the point? And so I sort of thought, well, why don't we try and get gigs going in at Ballarat, where I was living at the time? Yep. And we, we started up locally growing fun. Oh, sorry, I started up locally growing funnies. Um, and then uh, obviously Luke Massey came on board and we, we started moving it more to Geelong later on. But I, I suppose I started the production side to give myself and other comedians opportunities to to have decent gigs outside of Melbourne. Yeah. 
What what were those gigs? Did you start off? I'm assuming you started off with open mic kind of gigs, but where did where did it start from? So the very first locally grown funnies gig was at a bar that no longer exists called the Bushka Bar. <laughs> oh hum- yeah. Yeah, and Humphrey Street in Ballarat. You were there, weren't you? No, I I didn't go to Babushka. I went to the next gig after Babushka because I remember going past it and I was in the car with Ash Gweblo and um, Popo and I I think it was Mike Elliott and they pointed down the street and said, that's where Babushka was. We did gigs there when we came across to Ballarat. used to. Yeah. But, yeah, no, I've heard about that gig. Yeah, so that was that was on April the first, two thousand and seventeen. There you go, <laughs> and um, and Cody Jones was the MC. Yep, and uh, and and Sean Rosé was in it. Um, I can't remember who else, uh, but yeah. So that was it. Wasn't an open mic night as such. It was a, a curated night. I think is the yep. technical term, isn't it? Um, yes. Yeah, and then uh, and then the next one was on the twentieth of May of the same year, and that was one at Schnitz, and that was um, that was. Hugely successful. It was more successful than I could possibly imagine. We had a crowd of about I don't know, eighty or ninety people there. Yes. Um, <coughs> excuse me. It was fantastic. Um, and there were a few people there that did it for the first time. I remember John Bradshaw had a go for the first time, and Gail Simpson, another uh, a lady, had a go for a first time. So we did have an element of open mics, um, but mainly that was sort of cu- almost curated gigs. But How did you find we- the acts then? When the ones that did the open mic, yeah. Oh no, either. How did um, you? Oh, so I had to actually physically find the acts. Yeah. So, so one of the um, for the first ever gig, they were mostly people who had been in my heat of raw comedy in Ballarat the preceding November. Yeah, yeah. And I just got in touch with them, said, "Do you want to do a gig?" And and um, and there was a few of those. But then I suppose you just you're here and. Um, you see and you get recommendations and if you go to Melbourne, you see a few people and, yeah. So it's just, I suppose, it's almost word of mouth, isn't it? Yeah. When, when, you, when you're getting that level of comedian and then obviously you move on to wanting to get headliners and stuff and that's when, as you know, you start dealing with agencies and it all gets a bit a, a <laughs> bit harder, to be honest. It gets harder because I guess your expectations and what the – is it your expectations or your – your level of what you want to do, or the audience's level, what makes it harder? Why does it? Why does it become? Why do? You, why do you go up that level to try to do with agents? Why don't you just stick with war comedy hate people? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, I don't know whether it's me or humans in general or whatever, but we always want to try and do more and try and better ourselves or push ourselves or challenge ourselves. And so you start looking at bigger venues and go, well, how can I fill a bigger venue? You yeah. fill a bigger venue by getting a bigger name. Okay, beautiful. Get a bigger name and you start dealing with our you know, good friends at various agencies and coming across all the vagaries and challenges that happen there. So <laughs> I think you just – and also, again, it's a it's a bit of a self-interesting in that you go, well, I can be on the bill too. So instead of doing a show in front of 50 people, I can be doing a show in front of 250 people. Yeah. And that's kind of, and that's kind of cool. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so, so I suppose in a way you're levelling up because you're – Oh, so on gigs, so you're leveling up not only your production skills but your performance skills. Yeah, I suppose so because you're in front of bigger crowds. But look, my thing at the moment, I suppose, while performing is I probably don't do that much of it at the moment. Like I only really do the LGF comedy gigs, and that's it at the moment. Just because, why is it probably laziness a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
And again, it comes back to what I said at the start. Like, I'm not going to drive into Melbourne on a Wednesday night to do comedy in front of 12 disinterested people. Yeah. Like, you know, there's family, there's commitments, there's day jobs, there's all that sort of stuff. So, um, but look, once a month at LGF comedy in front of, you know, 150 to 200 people is still, you know, good good experience to be having. And and especially is that um, I, I like to MC a lot of the gigs. And um, it, it's good to MC because really the the mood of the night's in your hands. So there's there's that responsibility that if you start off shit as an MC, the whole night's going to be shit. You start how you mean to continue and you, you pump that energy in the room and, and hopefully you get it back. Even if you've got nothing to talk about, just have that energy and, and it'll all follow, I think. That's a good point. Yeah, the, the energy of the MC. So then th- let's go back to that thing about booking acts. Now that you do have more of a budget, so you I suppose you're paying acts. Uh, and and I, I know from experience because it's just an industry-wide thing, not every single act on every single stage gets paid because there is a level of people still trying to learn the craft enough to warrant the pay. But now that you've got some ability to pay some acts, how do you decide, like, do you want a high-energy act all the time or do you try and find an act that does something low energy and then followed by something of high energy or do you think about that kind of what kind of performance is following another performance? Yeah, for sure. So, look, firstly, we, we pay everyone. So everyone gets okay. at least, you know, some get obviously more than others. Yep. And if it's your first time, you know, we might shout you a couple of drinks and just give you 20 bucks. But, yeah, everyone gets yeah, paid. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Um, yeah, no, definitely you want to pick who you want. And so, for example, you're not going to, how does one word this correctly? So an act that might really hit in Brunswick and Fitzroy about yeah. the topics and the things there might not hit down in Geelong. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or Ballarat or yeah. Melton. And so you're looking for those from purely a, a commercial interest perspective, you want acts that are going to hit in your market, in your hood. Yep. So, um, so like for example, we've got Richard Stubbs yeah. next uh, next. Uh, gig on the thirtieth. I know I've seen him before. He smashes it down here in, in regional Victoria. Yeah, I mean, shit, he smashes it everywhere, doesn't he? He's a gun. Yeah, he does. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, so look, and you're right. And what you want to do, so part of I suppose when you're an MC is you you manage the running order too. I like to have someone with a lot of energy first up, and then you can maybe bring it down a notch. Have someone with you know less energy. And then just before you get to the last break before a headliner, round that energy back up again and then finish with your headliner. Yep. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely you're very conscious about who you get and where you put them in the lineup. And I think anyone who's not conscious of that, it shows in in the show that they put on. Yeah, that, well, that's why I, I think this is a good conversation to have because particularly for regional comedians, like you said, Producing shows is a terrific way to get exposure, get education, and knowing to do those little things. Yeah. So I, I heard a great saying from, I don't know if you're aware of a show called Letter Kenny, a Canadian comedy called Letter yeah. Kenny. Yeah. Yeah. Great show. One of, it's some of the best dialogue you'll ever hear in your life. I heard it referred to as modern day Shakespeare, and I kind of agree with that. It's just on point. It's wonderful. Anyway, the main guy out of that, I think the actor's name is Jared Keto or Jared Leto. I can't remember. But he tried for years and years to get in and uh, around Hollywood and did bit parts and wasn't getting anywhere. And he went back home and he said, "Well, why don't I just write about what I know? Why don't I do it myself?" Yeah. And that's sort of that's sort of what you're saying is that for regional comedians, 
instead of trying to get on other shows and do it yourself, put the shows yeah. on yourself because people will come. It is, it is hard to get them to come sometimes, yep. especially in this COVID adult world in which we live. But yeah, put the show on yourself, create your own opportunities, I suppose, yep. is what I'm saying. Oh, absolutely. No, I agree with that 100%. Um, there's, there's a couple of questions in, in what you've answered. And one thing I want to ask, because it's just going back a couple of steps, was mm. the difference between regional and Melbourne crowds. And you, you yep. didn't specifically say Melbourne. Well, I think you said Brunswick or Mentone. <laughs> or, Fitzroy, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And there, are, there can actually be that little differences, but... Is there anything you notice? Is there anything that you know that is the difference between doing gigs in, say, the city versus Ballarat or Bendigo or Geelong um, or anything like that? Is yeah, there any? I, I suppose I can only talk from my own experiences, but I've found yeah. that perhaps crowds in regional gigs are a bit older sometimes yeah. or most of the time. When you go and do your shows in, you know, in the city of Melbourne, that it's a younger crowd. Um, and again, that's only from my own experience. I might be quite wrong, but um, and I suppose being an older guy myself, you find I find it harder to relate to those younger people and what they're going through in life. And so, perhaps my material doesn't hit as well with a younger audience than it does when I go out and deal with people in the country who are a bit older, a bit more my age. So, in that way, I suppose it's different for me. Um, but yeah, again, that's only my experience. I love that answer because it wasn't what I was think, thinking because stereotypically you think that there's some sort of ethical divide because some people say that, think that. But really it's not. It's it's just a generational thing of what's related to your yeah. age group. There's it's nothing, it's nothing, nothing really dividing other than some generations have kids and some generations don't have kids yet. And it's a bit <laughs> hard to talk about those topics. <laughs> That's right. You go to a room with 20-year-olds in Fitzroy and talk about, you know, your kids shitting themselves or something. And, you know, they're, they're not going to relate to it. They don't know. They haven't been through it. They can't sit there and go, oh, yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, they don't know it yet. So it's just – I think it's just an experience gap yeah. really between the two. And, um, yeah. But it's funny, though, because one of the things you find a little bit harder is when you, when you start trying to get middle-level comedians to come down to Geelong even. Geelong's like the end of the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm sure you've found that going to Bendigo. That, yeah. Um, you know, going regional, oh, my God, you know, you need to give me all this travel money, you need to do this, do that. You go, no, no, just get down here. It's, you know, it's an hour away at most. Just yeah, spread your well, wings a little. Sometimes I find that they're actually quite, I don't know, maybe it is because we've had quite a few gigs in Bendigo. Maybe some of the gigs you've you've got are easier to book than others because – people know that instead of getting to a room of 12 or 15 jaded comedians in Melbourne, <laughs> they can go out on a night and have a good room. Yes. Yeah. And that's, and that's, I suppose, how you sell it. And I imagine you do too. That's how you yeah. sell it to those Melbourne comedians. You go, yeah, well, that's right. You can either go to somewhere on Smith Street and do it in front of a dozen people or you can come out here and probably do it in front of about 200 people who are up yeah. for it too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Definitely. Well, one, yeah, one of the questions I was going to ask that you raised was getting punters through the door. You mm. did say that it's you can get two hundred people, but also it can be hard to get people. How, how do you, is there any tips, I guess, for first time producers or any any producers 
out there that you've learned? Uh, so if first-time producers is just milk your friends and family for all their work. <laughs> <laughs> get, them to, get them to come to everything. And <laughs> that sounds rather cynical, but look, social media is is it's great for advertising without spending money, but it's even better for advertising with spending the money because you won't get as much bang for your buck in advertising as you do with social media. And you can pick exactly who you want to target that ad to as well. So I would say milk your family and friends and use social media. And then once you get them there, make sure whatever crowd you have has the best time of their life. Yeah. So if you're expecting a crowd of 100 but you only get 25, it's not their fault. Make sure they have a cracking time and they'll go away and tell all their friends and whoever that they had a great time and then you'll get more. And just keep doing it, I reckon. I reckon being regular and keeping doing it is a big part of it as well. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, being regular and also being regularly good mm. are the things that get people to come back. That's right. And that's what that's who you want. You want people to come back. Yeah. That's, I, mean, I mean, go on. I was going to say it's hard. Yeah, it's real hard, especially after COVID. And, you know, we had a gig on July the 1st, I think it was. We had Dave O'Neill and that was sort of at the height of, you know, another Omicron wave or some shit or whatever. And just even with that talk, like no lockdowns, nothing like that, but just even with the talk of yeah. Omicron and COVID, people were much harder to get in. So, um, but yeah, it, it's been challenging, but I, I think having stayed regular over this year and with our dates booked in for next year, I think um, I think we'll do all right next year. I think people will start to, and they already are, are starting to shake off that COVID sort of isolation and get out a bit more. There's a lot of building blocks within producing gigs. So let's let's do some really fundamental stuff. Yeah. First gigs, are you worried? Somebody's asked me about starting a gig and is it as mm. simple as having a microphone and a speaker and that's it? What do you need to build a gig? You need you need the right venue. So yeah. the venue the venue is very important. So you want a venue that's dark. It, it, I know this sounds sort of straightforward, but it really does matter. So you want a venue that's dark, and you want a venue when you're starting out go smaller rather than larger. Yeah. Because it'd be better to have it full with fewer numbers than to have a bigger venue have the same numbers and have them rattling around inside there. Because the way I was it was explained to me once, and I agree with this is laughter is a bit like electricity. Right, so you want people packed in there so that it transmits between them. And also when it's dark, so people feel um, comfortable to laugh. Yeah. So there might be, you know, if you're talking about a topic that's a bit edgy and they are laughing at it, if it's light, you know, they might be very self-conscious laughing. So have it dark, have it small. And then yeah, then all you need after that is a microphone and some good material. So Well, question then spotlight. Do you, do you bring a spotlight for the stage or do you just light the stage and then leave the, the audience in dark or how do you? It's a great question. I would say the ideal is just have a wash on the stage. Um, we have a spotlight, but we probably overinvested and it's like a collapsed star and you get up on, <laughs> st- <laughs> you get up on stage and you can't see anything other than the, the spotlight. And, and that's fine and it presents really well when you see the photos. It looks like the old school you know, spotlight just with that big circle of light and you're in it. But when you're on stage, because I don't know, as a comedian, I like to see, sometimes I like to see the audience a bit, not too much, but a bit, you know, first few rows or whatever. Um, so I would say you get a, just a, a, a light that covers the whole stage. You don't necessarily need a spotlight. 
But if you've got access to one and it's not super fucking bright, yeah, use it. Yeah. That uh, I'll go back a step in a moment, but it's the spotlight on stage because I have done the gigs where you get on the big stage and there's the big spotlight on you and you can't really see the audience. And it's it's a bit jarring for the first time you do that because normally you go out there and you can see at least the first few rows and you can mm. see some smiles and some sort of connection. Um, but you're right. When you first do it with a spotlight, it's kind of weird because you, you can't see the audience and all you see is that light and, and you're sort of – it's almost like you're throwing your jokes out there because you don't know who's out there and you're just waiting for the laughs to come back and – you can't even see the, you know, you can't see the reactions because sometimes you'll get, you know, it's like a, the, the smouldering smirks and smiles and you go, okay, I'll work on that. Whereas in Spotlight, you can't see shit. Yeah. And that was the thing. I realised I realized that in that scenario you have to wait a little bit more. Yes. Yeah, let because, it breathe. Yeah, because maybe it's the distance or something or maybe it's that thing about, like you said, the electricity. you got to those few laughs do come and they do build in a big stage that you would immediately get in a smaller room. That's right. That's right. And and, and what you'll notice about good comedians is they make those big rooms feel small. Uh, And that's, that's their, yeah, that's their gift. If you like, that's their ability is they make those big auditoriums seem really small and, and intimate and yeah, you know, that's a skill and that's why they're getting paid the big bucks. But yeah, the spotlight things are the first time. So I would suggest for first timers running a show, just get a nice normal wash on the stage, just so that comedian can be seen. Yep. On stage. Uh, um the other question, music, ambience before you get on stage. And are you believer in having that uh, music fade up between acts? Uh yeah, I I, I am. I would have um, music beforehand, definitely, and music. Uh, I mean, music between comedians. So if you've got the MC, it goes, you know, that was Luke Morris, and now plays well on the stage, Tim Young. Yeah, you probably don't worry about it. But certainly in your breaks and before and after, there's nothing worse as an MC than you go, all right, thank you very much, and good night. And there's just silence. And you're yeah. still <laughs> on the stage. All right, there's nothing worse. So have some music, and then just, you know, it's great. Yeah, music, definitely. That, that, Ambience is everything. So we actually get, um, for LGF gigs now, Punchlines on Paco, we get uh, a guy called Luke Biskin who plays guitar and sings and, and he comes down and does six till eight while people are eating their dinner. So And that's that's what we do. So that sort of provides that bit of ambiance and everything. It's really good. Cool. Is he up on the stage? Yeah, yeah, he's up on the stage. So he's up on the stage while from six till eight and then the comedy starts from eight till ten. Well, that's the question I had because there's, there's, that's the other thing about stage. Do you think you need a stage? Does the, does the comedian or the actor need to be elevated in some way? Oh, not necessarily. Just so you can be seen, especially in smaller rooms, it doesn't matter. Yep. So if you've got access to a stage, great. If not, nah, it doesn't matter. Just as long as you can be seen. That's yep. all. Yep. That's the only thing. So you went from Babushka. Mm-hmm. To, I Schnitz. did the gig at Snitz. I did that gig, yeah. and then you've gone. It seems to be have been a big step from because now you're in Geelong, and yeah. Panko is in the town hall, and that's a that's a beautiful big space. Was there anything yeah. in between there? So 
I did a lot of work. I was very lucky to do a, a fair bit of work with Beth Lamont and Ballarat Cat Comedy. Yep. And that that was an, that would be another thing I'd say to, to people who are starting out producing is find someone who's already doing what you're doing or what you want to do and go and help them out. Go and work with them. Go and learn from what they've done or what they're doing. So I did that. We also had gigs at a place called uh, the Printer's Room in Ballarat for a bit, which was a, a wonderful old yes. space in the basement underneath, what was it called? Underneath Sebastian's. And that, they were good. Yes. They were good. And then we had a few gigs, actually did a few gigs at the Piano Bar in Geelong. Yep. Um, and also some of the cafe that a friend used to, that Luke Massey, the other guy now runs LGF Comedy, used to own. And we did a few there. And we gradually built up. And, yeah, we started off. So at, at um, Geelong West Town Hall, there's two rooms. There's a supper room, which holds about 110, 120. And we did our first ever gig there with Richard Stubbs. And we filled that. And then we thought, well, let's, you know, let's shoot for the stars. And so now we do um, punchlines in Paco in the big auditorium, which can hold about 300 people. So, right. and, and it's daunting every month. <laughs> but, you know, we, we sort of, we, from where we're at, because we also, uh, we run the bar and we sort of uh, help run the food as well. So for us, we want people there. So we'll give away a few tickets as well. And that's also something for a young producer, get people in the door. Um, get you know, don't worry about making money on tickets. Probably initially, yes, charge something because you should have your work valued. But you have to give away a few free ones. By all means, do it because those people will then go away and talk about your thing. They'll like your page on socials, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, uh, and on that point, I sometimes valued because when I started up producing gigs, I thought, well, if I put in fifty bucks to this gig, that's not only that's the amount of petrol I was spending to go drive to a crappy gig in Melbourne, but there's also the extra time that I get to save. It's oh. quite valuable to me to spend that money and not invest, not expect to have to make a huge profit every gig. That's right. And, you know, like we'd be, I mean, to get to a gig in Melbourne and back, it's probably two and a half hours of driving. Two and a half hours of driving, and then you get there and wait four hours maybe <laughs> to right. get on for five minutes. Well, the one that the one that broke me in Melbourne was uh, uh, Club Voltaire on a Friday night. Yeah, I, I went down and did that, and it was I'm pretty sure it was late summer, so it was hot as. And you sign up, and I was in like the fourth bracket, and I think that night there was something like fifty-eight people on the bill all doing four-minute sets, and I reckon I was about 54th. And yeah. you just get, you just get up. And you know, like you say, you've driven all the way in from like, that stage I was in Ballarat, driven all the way in, you wait two or three hours, you get up. No one gives a shit what you've got to say. You could be Jim Jeffries. No one gives a fuck. Everyone's tired. Everyone just wants to leave. You get up, you do your four minutes. There's a, you know, the old you know, theatre, single clap in the background, and that's it. And you go, what, what a waste of time. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I remember the last time I did that and I sort of died. I did have one person stop me as I was walking out saying they really liked what I did, which is great. But it's like it doesn't really justify the the two hour drive, the four hour wait and the two hour drive. <laughs> That's right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I remember that during my four minutes when I did that club Voltaire. We're talking a few years ago now though. I remember there was a guy on the third row who was just on his phone. Yeah. And you go, mate, come on, fuck. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, 
So yeah, that's that's sort of pushed me in that direction of no, nah, I'm not going to Melbourne anymore. Yeah, yeah. And, and and the sad, the only drawback of that is you're probably not going to get noticed at regional gigs, and that's part of the problem. Is we're still outside. Yeah, you know, the world doesn't exist outside that sort of central Melbourne part as far as comedy is concerned. Do to, you to a lot think of about video then? Because YouTube is a way to connect and. and- Display gigs. Oh. Have, have, have you filmed any gigs and, and yeah, any packages we, like that? We film them. Um, we, we're probably what we would want to do. We've done a couple of promo videos. Is promote the the night and show what we're doing. So show yeah. that you come along, you have a great time. There's comedy, there's food, there's music, all that sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, in terms of showing the stand up material, people are a bit reluctant to have this stuff shown yeah. a lot of the time. But we're certainly, I don't know, part of what I want to do too is start dragging people like Token and A-List and stuff down to Geelong and say, look, you know, we've got some good people down here. And there's, you know, there's talent in Bendigo and Ballarat and Geelong. Come and have a look. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not everyone, you know, is in Melbourne that does comedy. You know, there's, there's other voices to be heard. Well, that's what the whole setup of this Comedy Victoria thing is, is to, not, mm. is to, to stamp the feet a little bit and to help. Not just make a Bendigo, Ballarat, Geelong. There's, there's, uh, what's his name out in Warrnambool? Yeah, Aiden Nicholson. Aiden, yep. Yep, that's right. And then get out to, you know, Hamilton and go to Sale, go the other way, not just Western Victoria, go the other way. Let's go to Sale, let's go to Maui, you know, Morwell, all those places. Yeah. Mildura. Uh, and you know from the experience of getting 200 people, 300 people, there's, Plenty of people out there who want to see gigs. Yeah, and you'll you'll get yeah, that's right, and you'll get a lot of people who were there for the first time. Yeah, it, it's surprising. It'll always be we've found you know if you ask on stage or ask people afterwards, you know, you can be any sort of fifty fifty split between people who've been to not just our nights but have never been to comedy before. You know, well that was it. That's the interesting thing. Do, so you're still getting new people each each show. Yeah, oh for sure, definitely. Yep. And people not just new to our shows, but new to live comedy, full stop. What? How? It just seems strange. How is yeah, that possible? I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't, I'm with you. Like, I think part of what it is here in Australia is that people will only go and see a name. Yeah. But if you go to go to somewhere, a lot of places in the UK, and people will just go to comedy, yeah. and they'll, they'll they'll dip their toe and they'll see. You know, there'll be eight people on the bill. You know, they hate three, but they like five, that sort of thing. And that's the attitude towards comedy. Whereas here, it's almost like in Australia, we need to be guaranteed a good night before we we'll go to it. Yeah. We're not, maybe we're not great risk takers with comedy. And uh, again, only my experience, I might be completely wrong. But, you know, when we were putting on locally grown funny gigs with, you know, eight, um, you know, eight of us comedians and no headliner. It was a lot harder to sell tickets. As soon as you start putting a headliner on it and spending that extra money, people are more likely to come because they go, oh, yeah, you know, Richard Stubbs, great. I know him. I know I'm going to have a good time. Well, that was um, it. I was going to ask, do, do you remember when you saw that happen? Like for the first time, suddenly it went from uh, just a, a slow sale of tickets or uh, uh, just a few people turning up to, oh, Ivan, Mr. Getty's, Crack! Suddenly, there's the room's full. Do, do you remember yeah. 
the the big one for us was in at the start of just before COVID. So I remember there was the bushfires over the summer of nineteen and twenty, and yeah. we had we had a gig at the end of January in twenty twenty um, at Cadinia Park in the President's Room to raise money for the bushfires. And we had a lot of people help us with that. We got a lot. We got some free advertising from the Geelong advertiser. Um, Dave Thornton came along, and he gave his time for free to to headline the gig. And that was the first time I really saw it. And we sold, I think, three hundred tickets for that night. And that was the first time I saw the effect that a headliner would have. Now, granted, that's not normal circumstances, but that was the first time I ever saw tickets fly off the shelf. Yeah. Um, and I went out the door, and oh, that was a great night. Fantastic. Great. Well, I, we're sort of coming up to a time where we sort of end, and I've got the last question in here, which I think is really important, but I don't know mm. if you want to end on this note. Well, That's right. Actually, we'll, 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 I'll ask this question, and then we'll end on a happier question. Because okay. we went through a whole bunch of shows that you've done, and it's really interesting to learn from failures. And yes. I've, I've produced a lot of rooms that have lasted three, four nights and then crashed and burnt yep. and then we've just created another thing and built built the way from there, which I assume or maybe is, is how you went. Did, did yeah. you have some big failures and then restarting? And- yeah, so a lot of it all came down to the venue often. So, yeah. we, we'd, so for example, with Schnitz, probably while it was a good spot, it wasn't a great spot. So you still had to get the stage up there. Yeah, we had lights set up and then – People started the. There was a long story, but effectively, the guy that set up the lights wanted to charge us so much a gig to run them, and that was outside our uh, budget. We said, "We said, no, yeah. we can't do that." We went to. Can't remember which way we ran. I think we went to the printers' room first, um, and that was people like as great a venue as it was. We didn't get the support from the venue, and people just couldn't find it, and so no, nah, we're not doing it there. Then we went to Craig's Royal Hotel, and they had this fantastic basement. And we had one really good show with Greg Fleet there. And that was, you know, we packed it out. It was great. And then just, again, I don't know, we, we, couldn't, we couldn't get it to work. When you don't get to work with a venue and all you're relying on is ticket sales, it's very, very hard. And that's when we thought, well, we need probably a venue where we're running the bar as well. And that has changed everything. So, well, is that we, what took you from Ballarat? Because all those spots are in Ballarat. Is that what took you from Ballarat to Geelong? Uh, so, what took us to Geelong was so I, my day job's in Geelong and Luke Massey's in Geelong. So, we had our first yep. gig November 18, 19. I can't remember. I have to look it up. And he used to run a cafe. So, we only held about 30 people. And we used to um, fill that up and he would sell the food and drink and he'd make the money. And that was great. But then we started looking and going, well, why don't we find a venue where we can do that? Sorry. No, I'm getting my timelines mixed up. We did a couple of shows at Piano Bar. Yep. And we, we did a we did a Greg Fleet show there and we did a Richard Stubbs show there as well. Yeah. And we sort of looked at the figures afterwards again, that's a lot of effort and we're still not and it's not about making money, but again, you want to be rewarded for your efforts. And we go, Well, we're not sort of almost covering our losses and go, How's that possible? And then that's when we decided, look, let's let's be in charge of the food and the drink as well. And that's sort of what's taken us to where we are now. So if you can do that, if you've got the sort of logistics and wherewithal, that's what – it really helps. But what, because, what, yeah, keep going. I was going to say, because what it means is then if you give away tickets, you're not just all – you're still getting money out of it. <laughs> yeah. 
you're still getting money out of people if you give away a free ticket because they're still going to drink and eat when they're there. Whereas if you're just relying on ticket price, you need to sell those tickets because that's how you're making your revenue to keep your thing going. And it's weird when you when you package everything as I disturbingly read a article about how to make money in the arts industry and I th- it was like the top 50 ways or something and I can't remember I think it was number 17 was sell tickets yeah yeah I believe that yeah that's right yeah and I believe that so it's I don't know what was number one uh, it, it would have been grants it either was kids shows or get grants or, or, or do some sort of education program yeah, right. all those things are up there because you know, people will spend money on either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On those well, they reckon. Um, they reckon if you can have a good kids show at the comedy festival, they reckon that you absolutely clean up. That you know, let's let's say you're doing a show at night, but you have got a kids show in the afternoon. They reckon if you get that right, ooh-wee. um, ticketing supplies. Who do you use? Do you uh, try booking? Yeah, is easiest so, for you. Yeah, I suppose it's what you know. Yeah. And I find it very interesting. We used um, Eventbrite for a bit, and that I'd, I mean, you know, I found the platform to be a bit less easy to use. Yep. Um, Humanitics have been in touch, wanting us to go across to them, and I just haven't got back to the poor bloke. But you know, I like I like sort of their idea of you know running it sort of for charity. Yeah. Um, but again, you know, it's just finding the time to do that, and also when you're talking about your ticketing system, you you get set, you know it, you can clone events, it's easy sort of you're a bit sort of reluctant to change but yeah i suppose we'll talk to them in the future at some stage but yeah try bookings ours yep um just going back on the question about failed gigs mm. so most of the ones that that failed were because you just were looking for a better suit for the shows mm. how about gigs that have bombed uh, yeah well we did a gig at schnitz once and I'd obviously I'd, I'd booked all the comedians and this, yeah, it was a it was a tough old night. Firstly, we found it hard to get people through the door. I think we had a fairly small crowd, and again, it was we had a small crowd in a bigger venue, and that sort of sucks a bit of the atmosphere out. Yeah. And then the the comedians that I'd picked to come along just weren't a good fit, and yeah, just the whole night bombed. So yeah. um, that's a few years ago, but yeah. <laughs> That was a that was a tough old night, and that's yeah you know, a lot of soul searching. You just got to sort of get back up and go again. Is that when you learn that thing about? Is that when you first notice the idea about having a small audience in a small room? Or as a- yeah, I think it is. I think Schnitz was a good education in that. In that, the first gig we ever had there was massive, and you go, "This is spectacular! This is brilliant!" And then when it quietened down a bit, and we got the smaller crowds at Schnitz. You're going, "Yeah, this isn't so great." Yeah. And it's almost it's almost worth, like I said before, have a smaller venue, fill it every week, and you know, as opposed to having a bigger venue, which you might sometimes struggle to fill. Oh, Atmos- yeah. atmosphere is everything. Yeah, well, getting that database is the hard thing too. <clears throat> I mean, even if you have a good night, like you said, that first night went really well. How do you keep them to come back? Mm. That's the that's the amazing thing when you say that you've got so many new people coming each week. It's like, what about the people who came last or oh, each month? What, what about the people who came to the last month's gig? Why didn't they just come yeah. back? No, no, and they do. <laughs> they had a good time. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. So they do and they, they, what happens is, which is great, they come along and they bring friends along who haven't been before. So 
That's what the good thing is. Um, sorry, another thing I should have mentioned before when you're talking about advertising is MailChimp. Is oh, yeah. Yeah, is is forming a database, a mailing list, and I know Piano Bar have a wonderful mailing list, but get yourself a good mailing list and then send out emails to those people about what's happening with your shows. Oh, and you get that database out of the ticket. Yeah, but yeah, if the people have to unofficially, yes, you do. Officially, they have to subscribe. So, the the important thing about ticketing, and it's it's a tough question because someone once told me that if you ticket, even if the the people don't turn up, you've still got their money, which sounds cool, mm. but it's actually really helpful for you because. And invest it incentivizes them to actually turn up. That's right, and and it gives you the security that you're actually going to get some income. That's as, it. And as a as a small producer, which is what anybody listening to this is probably a small producer, mm. it's it's so good to have some sort of security in that. Definitely. But and also in ticketing, though, you're creating a barrier. You're creating a thing where you're saying, "Well, this this show is actually going to cost somebody money." Mm. Have you always charged for shows? Uh, except for uh, no, sorry. Uh, have we? I'm sure we have. I'm trying to think of a show that we would have done for free. I can't think of one. So whether we've been charging for a charity or charging for us, yeah, we've always charged a ticket price. Well, I yep. think. I think. It, I think what happens is you put a ticket price on a show, and people go, "Okay, it's good enough for them to charge money for." Yes. And and again, so old mate buys a ticket, you know, three weeks out, he or she is then, like you say, you know, it incentivizes them to actually turn up. Where if it's a free show and they've decided two weeks ago they're going to come, it gets to the night, it's cold or raining or whatever, and they go, stuff it, I'm not going. Yeah. So, so I, I think having a ticket price, small or large or whatever, I think is not a, essential is probably too strong a word, but I think it, it really helps you out. Yeah. I think that's right because I was just thinking of that model of why are the gigs in regional town, do they work compared to the, the small ones in Melbourne? And it's either the number of gigs that are going on or the fact that the Melbourne ones are sort of devalued because so many of them are free. I think there's a bit of that and there's a lot of them. And, you know, yeah, I, I think it's because, yeah, I think there's a lot of them and they're free. Yeah. Yeah. And whereas in, in Geelong, you know, there's not a lot of live comedy going on. Yeah. So, which is, you know, which is something we're looking to change, I suppose. Yeah. Well, that's, I guess that's a, the question to sort of end on is what's you, do you have a goal for the future? Do you see where this can move to? Is, do you want to move or are you happy with where you're going or is it? Um, look, total world domination through comedy. Would be <laughs> so, but. No, nah, look, um, I don't know. I, I think the goal for us is to get that punchlines on Paco Night up and running and humming and, and have it to the stage, a bit like Ballarat Cat was or is, where you post that you're going to your next show on and they sell out within, you know, two days. And it gets to the stage where the name of the night is so good that it doesn't really matter who your headliner is. Like that will get some tickets, but the, the night itself is what people are coming to. That's a terrific point because it's amazing for me to look at something like a comedy festival roadshow. Mm. I still get told by people that they don't know who the acts are. And you mm. and I might be thinking, 
what do you mean you don't know? It's Daniel Connell. He's terrific. Or it's mm. um, Nikki Britton. She's great. But the punters sitting in the seats still don't know who those people are very much. Right. They're going to the brand name. That's right. They're going because it says Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Um, oh, another thing too for, for producers that want to – what I found too was get – so last year we had oh, – sorry, it was this year. Sorry, time gets away from me. We had two great experiences. We had a raw comedy heat in Geelong. Yep. Um, and I think you had one in Bendigo in the end, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank, thanks to that contact, we, we had one, and that was an amazing success. Yeah, that's right. And it's a great success because there's a real energy in those, those open mic nights. Like people, are, some of the comedians, it's fantastic because they just shit themselves. And, yeah, and sorry, that sounds bad, but it just takes you back to when you did it for the first time and you sort of, you want to tell them it's going to be all right. It's perfectly, you know, normal to be nervous and it's all going to be okay. No one's going to die. It's all going to be all right. And then, but you get good numbers through the door too. So it's a good way to put some money in your coffers to then do other stuff. The energy so, on that night was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a great energy. And what we did, we had, and we probably overstretched a bit here, we had, um, uh, we had the Raw Comedy Heat on first from 6 till 8. Then from 8 till 10, we had the – remember the Melbourne Comedy Festival out of town? Yes. And we had that on afterwards. And so yeah. we had that night. We had about 450 people through the door, and it was it was massive and just a big, big night. So, yeah, just, you know, I suppose put your hands up for things. You might not think you're ready or you might not think that, you know, it's going to happen, but just have a crack is what I'd say. And I, I want to ask, I left a space there because we can almost say, well, thanks, Tim. That was such a great ending point. Is there, is there anything else? Just have a crack seems to be the end. The- uh, absolutely. You know, we're all dead a long time. So, you know, just have a go. Just, you know, the worst you can ever hear is no. You know, and then but usually, you know, you'll get a, yeah, okay, we'll think about it. So, um, I mean, I mean can- for, for me, because just from what you're saying, also with that, if it fails, you've learnt something. Mm. Don't do it in that room. Don't do it in that produce in that venue. Book a di- different act. If it fails, it. okay. Why did it fail? And then just go again. That's right. And you know, it sounds something your teacher might have said to you, but you know, if you're if you're learning from something, it's not a hundred percent a failure, is it? Because you're going to learn and come back next oh. time. You know, Jorgen Klopp. <laughs> is that right? A couple of times in, yeah. in this podcast so far, uh, on my, uh, Danny McGinley would say, "And Foster Cogley is better." But uh, Jorgen Klopp said that, he, that they never lose because they just have experiences that they learn from. Oh, that'd be hard to sell to someone who's just lost a Premier League game, I reckon. But yeah, uh, well, yeah. I, I agree. I agree. And you know, the other one along the lines of having a crack is the old one from. I think it's was it Michael Jordan who said something about missing. You know, you're going to miss a thousand shots you don't take. So that's um, Wayne Gretzky. Sorry, thank you. There we go. Yes, yeah. similar caliber of athlete, right? Yeah. So, yeah. No. Just have a go. Have a go. Just try and aim higher, and yeah, you'll have a great time. That's great. All right, mate. I think that's that's the perfect end. Cheers, mate. All good. No worries. Thanks, Lee. That was another good episode. Thank you for listening to Dissecting a Frog, presented by Comedy Victoria. To support this podcast 
and hear about upcoming gigs and opportunities, become a member, visit the website comedyvictoria.com.au and follow on social media at Comedy Vic. You can track down myself, Luke Morris, at Luke Morris Ha, but please don't take all this comedy talk too seriously because as EB and Catherine Wright wrote, humour can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process.